Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Ion Foxborough, the premier podcast for all things New England Patriots. Brought to you by Mass Live. Welcome to Mass Live's Ion Foxborough podcast. I'm Patriots columnist Karen Garigian, and I'm pleased to welcome the award winning play by play voice of the Patriots. Bob Sosi. Hi, Bob. Hi, Karen. Good to be with you. Award winning. You are. Maybe. (laughs) I think I got to. Massachusetts Sportscaster of the Year in 2021, right? Well, yeah, I think uh, some kind people in in our local media circles uh, just wanted to throw me a bone. uh, You know, you know, and uh, share some of their prosperity as multi time. (laughs) <laughs> broadcasters of the year but well, i appreciate it it's good to be with you it's been great to get to know you over the course of the last 11 years covering the patriots same here um you know i this is a kind of a first for me uh I, i've well you know i did start back in the parcells days uh but it definitely wasn't the same vibe as this or even the first first Bill Belichick year, um, even through Cam Newton, even through last year, this seems different. Uh, what's your, what's your perspective if somebody who calls the games every week and, you know, you're in the locker room with me almost every day. How do, how do you see what the heck has happened? Yeah, this is different, Karen. And I was saying earlier this week to someone from our station, you knew eventually this run would come to an end. I never foresaw, I don't think anybody could, how quickly, how far, how fast the Patriots have fallen, even without Tom Brady. Tom Brady, of course, left in free agency, and there was the drop-off. He goes on to win a Super Bowl, and the Patriots have to find the next quarterback. They were competitive with a very poor roster in 2020 under adverse circumstances and an offense that was really not a functioning NFL offense. Uh, The following year, they get off to a great start. And there's some promise, at least at the end, even though they got hammered by Buffalo in the playoffs to conclude a disappointing finish to that season. And then last year up and down and, and some of the markings of what we're seeing now, I thought really started to emerge. And of course, there was the setback offensively for the quarterback, largely due not only to his own play, but the circumstances surrounding him with the coaching staff. And then coming into this year, I thought, okay, they're going 
going to rebound from that. They're going to go back to where they were, maybe pick up at the end of 2021 with Bill O'Brien running the offense. Not that I was especially excited about the personnel offensively at the wide receiver position specifically, but I still thought they will be improved. They'll be competitive offensively. They'll be in games. They've been in games, but it's not been because of their offense. Their offense has cost them. Special teams has cost them again. And obviously, you know, you're writing about it. I'm reading about it. Try not to talk about it too much in my role, uh, but it it does feel like we are not only closing in on the end of the Patriots' run as one of the top franchises, not only in the NFL in sports on the field, but you know the tenure of this head coach who's been one of the pillars uh, of the organization and its success. Obviously, uh, is right now uh, in in the crosshairs. So Bill O'Brien was asked about it today from one of our colleagues on a conference call, and, and he said, "This is Bill Belichick we're talking about. What he's done for the team and the community, and the game of football." And that's kind of how I feel. Like, how did we get here so far, so fast? Yeah, um, yeah. He just getting back to Mac Jones for a second. Um, for people like myself covering and watching, it's almost like he's unraveled to the point where I think they need to shut him down for, for a bit of time. And I asked, I asked Bill O'Brien the question on the call today that, um, you know, how much of an input do you have in whether Mac sits or starts? And he went, Karen, there's a hierarchy. It's Bob Kraft. It's Bill Belichick. I, you know, I'm just a piddly assistant <laughs> coach. And that surprises me a little bit. I mean, does it surprise you that they keep going back to the Mac Jones well based on what we've seen from week to week to week? Yeah, it surprises me to go back to the decision that was made just under the two-minute mark in Frankfurt with the game on the line, a winnable game, mm -hmm. to make that call in those circumstances and turn over the quarterback role to Bailey Zappi and then to come back with what we we all tried to make sense of the last couple of weeks. And now it sounds like, according to what Bill O'Brien told us during his conference call, there may be a similar approach this coming week. And, you know, I've tried to rationalize it. I've been asked about it on our radio station, 985, the sports of it. And I'm, I'm thinking it's it's really due as much to the options they have as it is to what they're seeing from Mac in, in practice. And he's always going to have the advantage, I think, in practice uh, in terms of running the, the full offense. We saw that clearly during training camp in the preseason. And I think we've seen it even in, in the games. But I, I I do agree with you from the standpoint. I think psychologically, obviously mechanically, uh, and uh, you know, with his physical limitations especially, those things have to be extra good for Mac Jones to succeed in this league. Mm -hmm. And I think considering the state of his psyche, the way we have seen him and heard him and watched him on the field and in press conferences, a break uh, might do him some good. And I think almost even a reset. I keep I think back to Tua Tungavailo in Miami and how Mike McDaniel took over and really kind of rebuilt his confidence and tried to convince him that, no, you can be a successful quarterback in this league. And, you know, what was lost in that too is that Tua had some injury issues and you know, took a step back off the field. And, you know, maybe that helped as well. But I think for Mac Jones right now, 
maybe watching and, and try to take some of the pressure off. He certainly works extremely hard. And I go back to a line that I read in a, in a book about Joe Torre uh, a number of years ago, where he had a saying, try easier. Not that you don't give a full effort, but try easier, relax. You know, baseball, you have to relax to be able to perform. And I think in football too, especially the quarterback position, you can't play being afraid of making a mistake. And that's the way he looks to me. Right. And and I see, you know, he's on contract for another year with a, with an option. And if there's any hope of salvaging him, I don't think continuing him, continuing to put him out there in this state helps accomplish that mission. That's, I mean, that's just my, that's just my take. You know, yeah, Karen, I think in some ways it, it's like we're seeing the first quarter of the game between the Patriots and the Chicago Bears from last year now start to play out over the course of a couple of weeks. Mac goes in, fails, gets pulled. And, and, and I, you know, I, I again, I, I see the shortcomings in, in both areas. I think what boggles my mind uh, really with both quarterbacks at this point is these are two quarterbacks that were drafted within the last three years as top, you know, four round picks, top four round picks. Mm-hmm. Mac obviously in, in the middle of the first round and Bailey now still in the upper half of the draft or right in the middle of the draft. And there were some people that I heard as former NFL executives on the air say he might've been the second best quarterback in that draft, though he played at a small school level. Uh, and he had success obviously last year with a very limited package uh, coming out of the gate for this team. And now to see where they are, where really neither in, in the eyes of many are considered a viable option for them at this point of this season, they've already released Bailey and brought him back, of course, off the practice squad to the active roster. And, and we're talking about Mac Jones in, in his state. I, I just think that's amazing. Mm. <laughs> um, we haven't heard much <laughs> from Patriots owner Robert Kraft, but obviously at two and nine, he can't be happy. If you had a crystal ball right now, how do you see things playing out uh, at the end of the season? Uh, do they move on from Coach Belichick? Uh, is there do they go about a major rebuild? Uh, minor tweaks? I mean, what what might you envision? Well, Karen, I don't have a crystal ball yeah. <laughs> in, in front of me. <laughs> and I, but what I can see is if I try to pretend that I do, that I might find myself uh, <laughs> in a place I might not want to be. But as the te- team's play-by-play guy, but no, in all seriousness, I, you know, I, I go back and forth with that. And, and, and I, you know, I, I think that when you look at the overall picture, what we've seen from the Patriots these last couple of years. And we're talking so much about the quarterback, uh, but it's, it's really, I think an operational failure in a lot of ways in terms of drafting. I think, you know, that some of the decisions that were made, we talked, we've touched on it a little bit. It's been talked about ad nauseum uh, with last year's offensive uh, game calling, play calling responsibilities, game planning responsibilities, and, and so forth, et cetera. Uh, so I think all that has to be taken into account. I still believe that Bill Belichick is the best coach in the history of the NFL. I still believe that Bill Belichick has not forgotten you know, all that he's known about football, and he could forget half of it, and, and I'll, I, I'll never know 
you know, you know, any of it. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, when we're talking about it, the gravity of thinking about moving on from a coach like that, uh, as Bill O'Brien articulated today, I mean, you know, it does force you all of a sudden. And when you start to think about it and, get, and, and remove emotion and so forth, uh, at least in my case, to have some pause. I don't know what Robert Kraft is going to do. I, I certainly know that from, you know, the, 60s on when the patriots became a franchise in this town uh he and his family were invested emotionally as fans as season mm -hmm. ticket holders and obviously there are more than emotional interests for him at stake right now as the owner of this team uh, an owner who reigned over the the most successful franchise in the best league in the world for two plus decades mm -hmm. uh, so you know the, the the weight of that decision is huge but you know, Robert Kraft has made tough decisions in the past. And, and, you know, by the end of the season, maybe the way that it finishes, maybe there's still a way to change the narrative from the public's point of view with regards to that coaching situation. I do think, you know, and I, and I thought this for a while, that Gerard Mayo would make a logical choice as the next person in line and what he, you know, what he did in the offseason, passing up head coaching offers uh, to sign a, a contract with the Patriots. And they made it very clear they were going to make that attempt even before the, the deal was done uh, with a press release at the time, you know, but I have no, like, as I said earlier, I have no crystal ball. I have no insights. Uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, uh, spitballing here. I, I don't know if he's, he's still, you know, in, in that line. I don't know if that means if he is, it's going to be next year, the year after, if there's some kind of a transitional plan, I'll leave that to the real reporters like yourself. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we're going to be uh, dealing with that uh, all through the off season, you know, <laughs> for sure. Um, right now, I want to segue into another job that you've had in the past. Um, you were also the play-by-play -play voice of Navy football. And uh, next weekend, uh, Gillette Stadium is hosting the Army-Navy football game. Um you call you called more than a dozen 15 16 of those army navy games um for those who are about to experience it and actually have tickets going what's the experience going to be like what are those games like i i think it's something that's kind of beyond football there's no question about it and that's, that's why army navy in my mind is in a different dimension than every other great rivalry, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, UCLA, Clemson, South Carolina, you know, the mutual respect and the mutual mission, the, the calling that the cadets and the midshipmen have as fierce rivals. And it's from day one in their experiences at the respective academies. You go to Navy and as a plebe, you go through this six week process in the summer, they break you down to build you back up and, and start that training process to be an officer in the Navy or Marine Corps and the same deal at West Point in, in the U.S. Army. It's yes, sir. No, sir, beat Army, sir, or yes, sir, no, sir, beat Navy, sir. Those are the only acceptable answers as, a, as an incoming freshman at, at those academies, you know, for those first couple of months. And so right away, you're indoctrinated into what it means. And for four years, those players compete against one another. doesn't matter what the records are. I called a game between Army and Navy in 2001. Of course, after 9-11, Navy was winless. Army had one win going into that game. And, and that didn't change anything. It was no different than a couple of years earlier uh, when I called my first or a few years earlier when I called my first, nor was it any different than many years down the line. Uh, and 
during that period from 2001 on, of course, you're talking about players who had made the commitment to go to their service academies and stay at their service academies with at least five years of active duty after graduation, with very few exceptions. They made that commitment during a time of two wars. And yeah. at the end of the Army-Navy game in football, the seniors now know after four years of trying to beat the other guy's brains out across the line of scrimmage, you're now on the same team. And it sounds cliched and it may be, but it's true. And it really does have special meaning. And you get the sense of that when you're in the stadium, particularly when you watch and listen and feel the two schools sing their alma maters after the game. The objective is sing second. The losing team and the winning team go to the corner of the stadium where, you know, its student body is, midshipmen or cadets, and they sing the alma mater. And then they go to the other side. The one side crestfallen walks over, then the other side charges over there, and players jump in the stands, and then the winning team gets to sing second. And that's where it really, I think, is where the emotion, I think, swells up. But you get there early, and that's, I would say, if you're going to go to the game, get inside the stadium. If you're thinking about tailgating longer and missing the march-ons, don't do it. Be inside the stadium for the march-on of the midshipmen and the cadets. They go one academy at a time in company formation. You look out on the field and there are all these rectangles of Navy you know, dress blues and then mm -hmm. Army, you know, the cadets in their gray, the, the long gray line. And it's 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 breathtaking. And it really, I, I think regardless of what your point of view is politically, uh, if you're an American, uh, it really makes you proud of, of these young people who've answered a higher calling. Hmm. Of those 15 or 16 games that you called, did anything happen within the context of the games that stands out to you probably every year? But is there a few memories you can share from the games itself? Well, I saw a lot of running plays. <laughs> 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 they didn't prepare me necessarily uh, for calling Tom Brady for the first part of my career for the Patriots <laughs> because it's two triple option offenses, at least for the most part over the course of the last three decades going against one another. But, you know, there were some great moments, but for me, I think the most memorable things were, you know, some of the worst moments for, for some teams and the, the reaction by the winning teams, in particular, when I'm thinking about Kenny Niamatololo, who's a person that you know, I've had a great relationship. He took over as Navy's head coach when Paul Johnson left to go to Georgia Tech, and that was in 2008. Uh, Paul had led Navy over Notre Dame in 2007 in a triple overtime game uh, to the first win for Navy since 1963 in that series, and then took a job at Georgia Tech. Kenny, his longtime aide, a guy who played for him at the University of Hawaii, became the head coach. And Kenny is as humble as any head coach I've ever worked with in, in sports. I think a true exception, especially in the world of college football. And I think someone who really embodied what service academy football is all about. His brother was an officer in the Army, and Kenny really believed in the mission of trying to develop those young people and help them become better leaders as well as better football players and built a great program until like, he was let go after last season. But I was thinking about a game recently where the Army quarterback, a young man by the name of Trent Steelman, they're driving downfield. Army had 
I, I called 11 straight wins for Navy over Army. I think it reached 14 after I left. So my last 11 Army-Navy games, the team I was broadcasting for won. Mm-hmm. That's unprecedented in this year. When I started, Army had won five straight games by a total of 10 points. Mm-hmm. Well, Navy was blowing out Army year after year by the time you know I was uh, on, on you know my last uh, journey as the Navy broadcaster. Mm-hmm. And Trent Steelman, the Army quarterback, fumbled late in that game. And I just remember the reaction of Ken Niamatololo and how emotional he was for his team, mm-hmm. but also how he felt and what he showed to that Army quarterback. And there were a couple of other instances like that. Navy lost a game a couple of years ago, very similar fashion, where their fullback fumbled late, trying to drive toward either a tie or, or a game-winning score. And you see that in that game. And that's why it's different, because of the mutual respect and admiration that the two sides have. Have you been able to get to many of them since you've left, I know it's tough with the Patriots scheduling and so forth, so on and so forth. Uh, and do you plan on being there uh, in a couple of weeks? Yeah, I will be there. I'll be there with my kids and my wife. That's the plan. And uh, I have not been to any in person. Uh, I am far more emotional uh, when I watch Army Navy than I am in any Patriots game. I become like Zolak in my living room watching Army Navy if I have the chance to watch it in my living room. I remember the first time I had a chance to watch it, I think in 2013, we were going to Miami and we're on the plane and it, and it was one of the flights early in my tenure with the Patriots where we had live TV. So I was watching the Army Navy and I'm pumping my fist and reacting to it. And and I think Zoe might have even done the, the interview with Bill Belichick, you know, after that. And I remember Zoe telling me he was joking with Bill, uh, of course, has strong ties to Navy, as we all know. Uh, that, you know, you should have just seen Sosie back there pumping a fist. He's all into that game. And, and I remember being in my hotel room trying to watch. It was a game in the snow. Keenan Reynolds for Navy, their great quarterback at the time, you know, lead them to a win uh, before going out to dinner on that Saturday night. And I was so pumped and, and so into it. And that's the way I am when I watch it. Some words come out of my mouth uh, in, in the living room that don't come out of my mouth, hopefully, uh, when I'm on the broadcasts. Uh, but I, I, I'm definitely into Army Navy. Um, I'm going to have some responsibilities for the Patriots heading into that game. So I've got to be kind of a neutral guy. And I, and I do. I was, I've always said this. My favorite college football team is and always will be Navy. My second favorite is Army. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that's always how I felt. And that's how I how feel, uh, you know, in, in, in a couple of Saturdays. Has your connection with Navy at all uh, helped at your relationship with Bill Belichick? Or have, have you got, do you guys ch- chat Navy football? Have you at all during uh, your time? A, a little bit, a little bit, but it took a long while. <laughs> you know, it's funny because people always ask that. Um <laughs> I was hired by CBS Radio, uh, mm-hmm. independent of the Patriots. The Patriots had the right of refusal. Uh, but I did ask the Navy head coach, Kenny Amontalolo, if he wouldn't mind, after I had interviewed, you know, sending an email to Bill. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think it really mattered. I got to know Bill's dad, Steve, mm-hmm. uh, late Steve Belichick, a bit. In fact, I remember the longest conversation I had with him was his last day on earth. It was before a Navy Temple game on a Saturday afternoon in the back of the press box. And, uh, and Steve was... Steve is a beloved figure to this day. If you talk to Phil McConkie, the, the great Navy football player and a longtime giant and, and, and certainly a playing favorite of Bill's, uh, he'll tell you he still to this day does the stretching routine that Steve Belichick taught him when he was a plebe mm-hmm. at the Naval mm-hmm. Academy. And, and, and Steve's role there went beyond being, a, you know, the scout and, and an assistant coach for the football program. He really impacted these great leaders, their lives. Tom Lynch, who was a captain of the 63 team. Uh, Roger Staubach, uh, 
Pat Donnelly, these names that Bill Belichick, uh, I, I'm sure, you know, remembers uh, so fondly. Joe Bellino, the late Joe Bellino, you know, the the the, the Heisman Trophy winner who became a Patriot uh, from Winchester. Um, you know, Steve Belichick has such a profound impact on that generation, but also on future generations. Even after he retired, he was he was around the Naval Academy football offices every day. Uh, Ricketts Hall is the home base of Navy athletics, and I would go into their sports information office. And because I'd have to interview an athlete or maybe do some some work before a game. And there was a room there with local newspapers. This is the <laughs> this is the day and age when there were still like newspapers to hold mm -hmm. and read. Uh, and Navy would get this bin delivered every day of the Baltimore Sun, the uh, you know, Annapolis paper, the Washington Post, et cetera. And Steve would come into the to the office and you'd ha always have the I think you know, if Bill was coaching with the Jets, he'd have the New York tabloids. In his mm -hmm. hand, he would drop them off so the people at the Navy Sports Information Office could read them. And then he would sit down with a cup of coffee and read the local papers. And I would be in the room with him, uh, you know, talking a little bit while waiting for my interview subject. And Steve would tell some stories periodically. But I, I, as I mentioned, I, the, the last day before uh, of his life, before uh, he passed away, he was at the Navy football game versus Temple. And I remember standing in the back of the press box and he was telling me about David Halberstam. And how much he admired the way Halberstam took these meticulous, these copious notes in his notepad and didn't use a, a tape recorder mm. in researching uh, his, his book, The Education of a Coach. And then he talked about Bill's in, in efforts uh, in, in the community, things that maybe weren't public at the time, working for the homeless, uh, for example, and, and went on and on and on, Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame, et cetera, at the time. Um, so, you know, I, I had a chance to get to know him pretty well by the end of my tenure. Uh, the, the the one story I've told before, and I'm going on, I'm sorry. For, no, for, I love it. I love the stories. Go ahead. The one, you know, he, I remember the Navy was playing Rutgers very early in my tenure and Rutgers had a head coach named Terry Shea, who briefly was a Bill Walsh assistant. And he changed the Rutgers uniforms to try to look like the 49ers, those white uniforms that are so cool with the, the black shadow around the numbers and so forth. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, he was the, the proponent of the West Coast offense was going to bring it to Rutgers in Piscataway, New Jersey. He was a Bill Walsh disciple. And so in, in, in this game, uh, I, you know, I mentioned that Bill Walsh was the father of the West Coast offense. So a few days later, I'm in that in that building, Ricketts Hall, and I hear this voice from down the hallway. Hey, I want to talk to you about something. And I turned into Steve Belichick. You said that Bill Walsh was the father of the West Coast offense. Well, let me tell you. And then he gave me an education about Paul Brown, uh, you know, Sid Gilman, <laughs> you name it. And, and I and I walked away thinking, wow, you know, what a history lesson. And I have felt that way so often, too, especially in those Fridays of press conferences with Bill. But to your question originally, which was so long ago, I don't know that it really I don't you know, maybe in time it, it might have helped, you know, or, you know, find some common ground to talk with Bill, but I, I've never really had much access to Bill outside of what everybody else does, less, than, you know, certainly than Zoe every week. And the thing for me is that I really had to earn his trust uh, to, I think, be able to reach that point. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, there are certainly a lot of people we know mutually. And, and Bill is a beloved favorite son of, uh, of Annapolis. Um, mm -hmm. I remember getting a haircut in the barber shop over in Eastport, and there was a there was a photograph of Bill Belichick, you know, long before I got this job. That's why for me it's like in like, the barber shop. In the barber shop, yeah, the Eastport yeah. Eastport Plaza across the uh, across the marina from from downtown Annapolis. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's and that's why for me it, it's he's he's Bill's been good to me. Um, 
you know, and I think he's a great coach and, I, and I've always seen his father's influence. Um, I, I do, you know, think very highly of, 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 you know, all the, the experiences I've had, I, I, I really value them. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, both at Navy, both here, uh, with the Patriots as well. And, you know, I think for, for me to think about army Navy coming to Gillette stadium, and being in Foxborough in a couple of Saturdays, it's 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 amazing. I I've called it at, at, at the Giants' old stadium, and Landover at FedEx Field, Baltimore home of the Ravens, and of course in Philadelphia at both Vet the Vet and Lincoln Financial. And I can't I can't wait for it at, at Gillette Stadium. I think it's gonna be fantastic. Mm. One last question. Um... You you did talk about Zoe quite a bit, so I'm I think people would love to know what it's like being the straight man on the broadcast uh, for for Scott Zolak. And everybody asks me what's it like to work with Zoe, and, and this is this is a tired answer, but it's it's like you'd imagine it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, Zoe's brought a lot of energy uh, to the booth. Obviously, week after week, I know that's hard to believe. And even when the team has struggled, I think he's a very honest analyst. I think he's a very good football analyst. He's a game quarterback should. He's really great at providing the whys when I try to explain, you know, describe the what's to to what we're seeing. I think, you know, for me, he was, he was a great asset, especially early trying to follow Gil Santos, Mm. you know, this legendary voice of the Patriots in the hall of fame with a classic football broadcasting voice and in Gino, I thought they were the perfect marriage on radio. I love to listen to them. I still think of Gil as the voice of the Patriots, but before our first game, you know, here I am, we're in Philadelphia, speaking of Lincoln financial field, 2013, about to go on the air for the first time. And uh, to say that, say that I was a bit nervous, a bit daunted would be a huge understatement. Mm -hmm. Uh, But right before we're on the air, uh, the, the station is about to send it out to us. Zoe turns to me and he says, are, are you guys, do you guys use uh, expletives on this, this podcast or not? <laughs> I, I just, I clean it up anyway. Zoe turns to me, I mean, right as I'm about to open my mouth and he says, hey, Bob, don't F this up. And I was like, hi, everyone. Welcome. <laughs> like, and I, but it broke the ice. And I think it hard, it, mm-hmm. us having such a different broadcast helped i think i hope win over acceptance to a lot of listeners that plus the team was so great uh, mm-hmm. on the field uh but it's 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 been a blast it's been a great experience you know to work with zoe week in week out again even in the struggles of the patriots and not 100 percent of the time you know the, the, there are some moments in that broadcast booth but we'll keep them there you know where uh as, as my my producer our producer mark capella would attest to uh that we do have to overcome there are burdens to carry but zoe has to do them with me as well so uh it, it's been a great experience one quick last one is it different for you as a play-by-play guy calling games for a two and nine team as opposed to a nine and two team it's different in a lot of respects, but it isn't in others. It's different, you know, in the fact that the highlights, obviously, offensively, have been few and far between. There's been very little rhythm to the games, et cetera. You can get into that part of it as a, as a play caller uh, on the radio booth. It's not as much fun. I mean, it's not, you know, I still have fun calling. I love what I do, and I still have fun doing it. But the real joy is when you get to call wins, especially dramatic wins. I mean, how many games have we seen, like, last Sunday's, at MetLife the last couple of years, and then compare them to what I experienced early on in my career when the Patriots were down, ball in the quarterback's hands, however much time was left, 
you know they'd win. You knew they were going to win. And, and and that's that's a big difference. And I think that you know the 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 some of the storytelling you're relating, you know, this stage of the season to playoff picture, uh, the the Patriots' chances for a first round by division, you know, clinching date potentially, et cetera, all these milestones. Now every game becomes a story unto itself. It still has those storylines, the quarterback situation, struggles of the offense. I mean, the defense is hanging in there, the problems of the special teams, et cetera. Uh, but the job really is still unchanged. You're supposed to go in there and earn your money by trying to describe what you, you see to the best of your ability, not take anything for granted. I still prepare the same way. There's still the same amount of information. I will say this too, Karen. I think that for me, I've been fortunate to be around this team over the last couple of years at least to this stage, I can't imagine that there were a lot of locker rooms in the NFL at two and nine with all the questions swirling around the team, a team under as much scrutiny as the Patriots are, where the expectations are so high, almost impossible to me, even when they're great. Mm. A team having a locker room that to me is still as professional as a general rule, uh, as the one that we walk into. There, there are a lot of class people in the organization and in that locker room, so that's helped, but I've been through rough seasons in minor league baseball. I've been through a three and 30 stretch with Navy. I mentioned earlier, a winless season for the midshipmen. So I've gone through that and experienced it. I was spoiled the first part of my tenure here, four Super Bowls, three championships. Uh, so I, I guess I'm now experiencing what, you know, most of the guys in this league have to go through, uh, but I, I don't take this for granted. Just like I did. I tried not to take all the successful moments for granted. Great. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate you spending the time uh, with us on the Eye on Foxborough podcast. I'm sure I will see you in Foxborough uh, this week. You will. Karen, I appreciate it. Great to be with you guys. This has been Eye on Foxborough, brought to you by Mass Live.